This morning, our, our scripture reading is going to come once again from the book of 1 Corinthians in this time, chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26 this morning. I'll give you a moment if you want to find that uh, for yourselves, and we'll have that on the screen behind me as well. All right, from God's Word we read, <clears throat> Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. May God bless for understanding that reading from his word. So we are now moving our way toward the end of our series from the book of 1 Corinthians, where we've been looking for some lessons on being a community with unity. And many of the lessons from the church in Corinth that first received this letter from the Apostle Paul are inspired by some problems that they had there which threatened to cause division in their midst. And we'll see another one of these divisive issues today. But alongside that, we'll also see one of the strengths of the church in Corinth, which was their impressive gifting. And as we go through this, I hope that we'll learn something about the nature of spiritual gifts, that we'll be encouraged also to form a healthy body as a church community, and see some of the ways that God has been good to us as a body of believers in our 47 years as a local church. And there's, that's a lot of things, so I'll get into it. So what is going on in Corinth this time? Well, the Corinthians are having problems because they have too much of a good thing. In particular, there was this large outpouring of spiritual gifts into this community. And the Corinthians had a special interest uh, in a few gifts, especially, it seems, the gift of speaking in tongues, which they valued more highly than other things. And if you've gotten a feel for the church in Corinth through this series, it'll come as no surprise then that this produced some pride, particularly in the people who had this gift, and it threatened to cause some division in their midst. So Paul begins in chapter 12 by reminding them of some things they probably ought to have known already, but a lot of preaching and teaching in 
Christian circles is really just reminding us of things that we probably ought to have known already. So, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but there is the same Spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord that we're all serving. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who is at work. Or if I paraphrase that, you know, Corinthians, the same Spirit gives all the different gifts. People serve in different ways, but they're serving the same God. The same God who's at work in each person is at work in each person, although the way that God does that work, that may look a little different in different people. And so you're not superior to somebody else because you possess a particular gift or you serve in a particular role. That is at the heart of this passage, that whatever God is doing in or through you, it doesn't make you better or worse than your brothers or sisters. We need one another and what we bring to the community that we form together. But I'm going to pause here a little bit, stick a pin in that, and, and talk a little bit about spiritual gifts because I think sometimes this is a little bit murky for many of us. What do we know about spiritual gifts? And to start with, verse 7 in this chapter says that every Christian, every follower of Jesus possesses spiritual gifts. It says, now to each one, not to some, but to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Spirit resides in every believer. And it either allows them or it assists them in order to do certain things, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the community and the wider world, for the common good. But what are these manifestations of the Spirit that Christians are supposed to have? And this chapter lists quite a few of them. And there are two or three other key passages in the New Testament that list many others, although none of those lists is complete. But in this chapter, Paul lists wisdom and knowledge, and faith, and gifts of healing, excuse me, gifts of healing, and miraculous powers, and prophecy, and distinguishing between spirits, which is also known as discernment, which we talked about last week, uh, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And then right at the end of the chapter, he adds a few more on there. He says that there's also helping, and guidance, and there are these roles of apostles, and prophets, and teachers, And in other parts of the New Testament, there are others listed, things like mercy or hospitality or administration, sometimes known as governance. And if you have ever found it hard to wrap your head around what spiritual gifts are and how they work, you don't need to feel bad about that because it's it's not entirely clear. Some of the gifts listed are things that people could have as a natural talent or develop as skills, like hospitality or administration or helping or guiding or teaching. Other gifts that are listed are simply impossible to do in any way without the Spirit, like healing or prophecy or speaking and interpreting of tongues. And if you're not familiar with tongues, that's kind of thought of as being empowered to speak in a special heavenly language through the Spirit, and then someone else must interpret that, again, through the Spirit for the benefit of the congregation. And there are some Christians today who believe that all of the gifts that are listed in the New Testament are alive and well, and that they should desire to seek and practice them. When I was, you know, not that long ago for some of you, but long ago for me, when I was in Baptist youth group, um, you know, the Pentecostal youth group down the road that some of my friends went to, they were also very into tongues as some Pentecostals tend to be, and, but they, you know, they tried to get everyone in that youth group to do it, and we thought that seemed a little weird and odd to, to us. We weren't super into that, and In fact, this chapter makes it clear that not everybody gets every gift. But there are also Christians today that think that the gifts listed in the New Testament, that some of them at least, especially those ones that are impossible without the Spirit, 
We call them the charismatic gifts sometimes. They think that this was a special outpouring of the Spirit on the early church, that it was true then, but these things are not happening now, or at least it's not something that a person can regularly practice. If it happens, it might be this very rare event. And I, for one, look forward to the day when I figure out exactly who was right about this. Maybe I will have a particular spiritual experience or get more opportunity over time, spending time with different believers from different traditions and different places, and maybe that will give me a real feel for it. But so far, I, I can only say that I don't know for sure. I haven't witnessed or participated in the speaking or interpreting of tongues, at least not what seemed like that was what was actually happening. I've witnessed a few people attempting it. I have attended a service at a church where there was someone there that that church considered a prophet, and that prophet went up to me and declared that I was going to be a pastor one day, which was an interesting thing to have happen to me since he had no knowledge of who I was as far as I know. But later on, that prophet went on to do some sketchy things and lose the confidence of that church, so I don't really know what to make of that whole episode in my life. I don't rule out that every gift of the Spirit in the New Testament may be alive and well in parts of the wider church. I just haven't come across all that much evidence of the charismatic gifts in my limited experience. And so maybe these gifts could occur. Maybe they could be more active in me if, and in, even in our church if we asked God for more of the Spirit and were more spiritually attuned. But what I do know for sure is that one of my favorite things about having grown up in Christian community was being encouraged to recognize and develop and use gifts that God had given me and seeing that happen for some of the people around me. Through this, I know certainly I discovered what I might be capable of and called to pursue as someone who wanted and very much still wants to serve God. So I'm not sure where the Holy Spirit's gifting starts and my natural temperament and talents stop. But all of those things come from God anyway, so I'm not really all that worried about what comes from the way I was created in the first place and what comes from the Spirit's empowerment later on. What matters is using what I've been given well. And the Bible says, and I believe, that all followers of Jesus possess the Holy Spirit and receive gifts of the Spirit for the common good. Or as today's passage, or, uh, the, these gifts, sorry, are for serving God as part of a spiritual community. They're not standalone things. They're no lone rangers now properly using spiritual gifts. Or as today's passage says, you know, they're for use in the body. We are a body. And this analogy teaches us some things about the nature of the church and the part that we all play within it. So I'll, I'll dive back into that now, and we'll get to our main passage of the day, which is talking about the church as this body. Christians are part of the body of Christ. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Now, a truth that's important to recognize that anyone who trusts in Jesus is a part of the big C church, the family of God all across the world. We have an enormous family, and they speak just about every language under the sun. They live in every you know, corner of this world and have all kinds of different practices and, and ideas about certain things, and yet... They love and follow Jesus, and they are our family. And so, to use our gifts, though, and to live out the kind of Christian life the Bible describes, I think we have to be more than just a part of that family, but we should join ourselves to a specific Christian community as part of a local church, one where we develop genuine fellowship and serve alongside other believers. Or to put it another way, you know, we are all parts 
So we better find ourselves a body to be attached to. Otherwise, what happens? Right? There's no part of my body that would do well if it were detached. And Paul's teaching on being part of the body is offered as an encouragement toward mutual appreciation and unity. Instead of competing over who has the best spiritual gifts, which seems to be what the Corinthians were up to. Paul wanted those Corinthians to think of the way that a body is one whole entity, but it could only function because it has these different parts, this variety of parts that serve all these different functions. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And people have done all kinds of weird illustrations about this, where there's just a giant ear or a giant foot or something, and, you know, that's kind of the, the imagery that yeah, he's giving us to see how absurd that would be. But Corinth was at risk of being a church obsessed with the charismatic gifts, where every member just wanted to be the same part. You know, they all wanted to be the tongue speaker or the prophet or the miracle worker. And they considered those superior, which risked treating people who didn't possess those particular gifts as, you know, not being up to scratch, not measuring up in some way. And so Paul wanted, <coughs> wanted those people with these more sought-after gifts to value others, and he wanted those who didn't have those gifts to recognize that they were no less a part of the body. And he says, look, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. So he's saying, look, if you don't have this one gift, doesn't mean you're not part of the body. It's our faith in Jesus that makes us part of the body. It's not what we or what anybody else thinks of our particular role or our particular gifts. And remember that it is God who has given these gifts for a reason, because he says, in fact, God placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And from here, the passage carries on imploring people to recognize the importance of this diversity of all these different gifts, especially appreciating the less flashy gifts that were in that body. He says, look, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And what Paul's getting at is the foolishness of thinking that one part of the body can do without the others, right? Did the people speaking in tongues really think that, you know, that was all the church needed? Who did they think was providing the home that they were worshiping in or bringing the food or cleaning up after or who, you know, did they think it was enough to speak in some impressive way in worship and forget the essential work being done to provide for the widows and the orphans, to teach people in preparation for baptism or all of the other things that the early church was doing? No, all of the parts which God arranged and values need each other. Not only that, but people ought to understand that body parts which aren't visible or prominent can be as important to our well-being or more important than others. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. Does anyone know what the smallest organ in the body is? I had to Google it, so if you know off the top of your head, that'd be pretty impressive. But the smallest organ in your body is the pineal gland, which is in your brain, and it regulates the hormones that allow us to sleep. Human beings who don't get proper sleep fall apart pretty quickly. None of our other parts function very well without this smallest part of the body. The smallest bones in your body, you might know where those are. This one's a little easier. Do you know where the smallest bones in your body are? In your ear, that's right, they're in your inner ear. 
And so both your hearing and your balance depend on these. So you would likely be much better off to have a problem with your foot or your leg or your hip than to have your inner ear not work. And so if you attend a church service, you're, of course, mostly going to see the people up on the stage, those who teach and sing and announce decisions being made by leadership groups that they're part of. And so we can get the impression that these are the indispensable parts of the body. But the opportunity for those people to use those gifts depends on the gifts of others, a whole other set that's being used in different places behind the scenes. Those who are administering the many, many details of what it means to be an organization, like the management of money, the care for building and property, those doing ministry of care to one another and, and calls and prayers and supplying food and meeting practical needs, those who are faithfully giving. Giving is also listed as a spiritual gift that some possess in abundance, but it's also listed as a, a general responsibility within a local church, a responsibility we share, and that sustains all of the other forms of ministry, in certain ways at least. I mean, if you don't have a preacher for two or three months, well, you can find someone to fill in and give a message. You can go on YouTube where there are almost infinite number of excellent sermons that could be played. But if you don't have a treasurer to pay your bills and fill out the government paperwork for a few months, you are in big trouble. Our passage says that the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. And in the context of the church, I think that's encouragement to make a special effort to show appreciation and thanks and respect for the less visible types of service and the, the less flashy gifts that are being used. All of this is so that the body is not divided, but properly appreciates how much we benefit from each other part and how much we all need each other. But God has put the body together, giving great, greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts would have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So I tried to keep application pretty short and sweet today with a few practical things that we can take beyond the main point of this passage, which is basically don't be stuck up, right, if you boil it right down. But there are a couple other things we can take from that as far as what do I do with this? And to start, some affirmation. You have gifts. If you love Jesus and desire to follow Him in a new life given through the cross, you absolutely have a gift or gifts to use for the common good. And you may not know exactly what they are, in which case there are really two things you can do. And one would be to pray and to ask God to help you see what He's given and where you should use it. And the second thing you could do is just try doing things. Because I've seen people in churches who are stuck in a loop because they, they don't serve because they don't think they're gifted and they don't ever find out how they're gifted because they don't serve and around and around and it goes. Sometimes you just have to jump in and just give something a try and see, let God use that to give you a clearer sense of calling. Maybe He'll gift you for what you're already doing or maybe He'll just show you this is the wrong thing and you can try something else. Next up is the equality aspect of this that nobody is superior to another in the church, regardless of how many or how impressive their gifts are or, or what exactly they're called uh, to do by that church. And just about everyone would say that they believe that. Like, we, yes, of course, we're all equal. We would say that. In but in practice, sometimes people still forget it or act as if they have. It happens way too often in church world these days that leaders with impressive gifts get put on pedestals that they don't have the maturity to handle. 
and then they burn out or they suffer some major failing. Nobody has greater status before God because of their particular gifting or their specific role or how much time and effort they put into serving. None of this should ever make someone prideful of their place or dismissive of others. But last up, just as we should avoid inappropriately, excuse me, elevating people with prominent gifts or roles, we also need to be careful not to diminish the importance of the other ways that people serve and use the gifts God has given them. And this means two things to me. First of all, as I pointed out before in this passage, I think it does mean that we, we put that extra effort into looking for those people serving in those behind-the-scenes ways, those little indispensable things that are being done in our midst, so we can offer encouragement and appreciation to those people. It doesn't mean you never, ever thank the people up on stage. They like to hear that too, and you shouldn't assume that they are. But I think this passage points us toward taking special care and respecting the less obvious work of the church. But second of all, it also means treating the seemingly small jobs like they're a big deal, because they are. If the attitude of the Corinthians sneaks into the church or into someone's heart today, then they might start to think that, well, this less demanding role isn't that important. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much if I work at it or if I try to do it with excellence. But if we are doing something for God, then we should try to do it as well as we can. Right? There's, there's a pretty big difference between you know, an usher who kind of absentmindedly tosses bulletins at people and one who seeks to learn names and remember details and put people at ease when they arrive and help them feel truly welcome and connected. Right? You could have someone in the, in the sound booth who's just kind of on their phone and occasionally they remember to change the slide, you know, three verses later from whatever it was. Or you have someone who's in there and they're, they're trying to learn those skills. They're thinking ahead to the next part of the service to make sure that it all goes as smoothly as they can because they know that, you know, that can throw people off when those things don't function and they're going to try to be on top of that. You know, you can have a Sunday school teacher who kind of, or a, a volunteer uh, assistant at the back who kind of just, you know, kind of keeps the kids at a safe distance and waits to be told what to do the whole way through. Or you can have one who, you know, gets in there with the kid who needs the most help paying attention and tries to make sure they know the names of all the kids in the room and looks for those opportunities to just to, to show interest in the lives of, of those kids and help them feel valued. Using gifts to serve in these areas can have a huge impact, big ripples, uh, when we make the most of the opportunities they provide. Because in the church, there are no small jobs. It only looks that way if we have narrow vision. We invited for our anniversary people to kind of send us in some pictures or stories or other things that served as memories for people. But we didn't really start that process very early on. And so next year, we're going to work harder on that. But there was one person who sent a memory in. And I'd like to share from it because I think it really speaks to the way God works through a body and its many parts. Because it was, it was near the end of June five years ago when uh, a woman named uh, Barbie, who worships with us you know, periodically, depending on what's going on, but she was being driven around Sackville by a friend of hers. And she was not fit to drive herself at this point. She, her head was spinning. She couldn't focus because her, her teenage daughter had just died under tragic circumstances. And she was looking for a church to host the funeral. She had belonged to one church in town, but she hadn't been there in quite a while because she had a job at the hospital and she often worked Sundays, and she was, she was searching. And she drove around town, and they came down Stokel Drive, and her friends started to, you know, pull in down the, down the hill, but Barbie, for some reason, said, no, 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 go to the one up the hill. 
So into our parking lot she, she came, and then when they got there, there was a, a little SUV in the parking lot, and there were two women who were chatting in there, and so Barbie's friend rolled down the window, and she asked those women if she would, they would be allowed to go into the church and, and just get a look around. And the two women in that car were, were Sheila and Pam, who were both serving as deacons then, and they just happened to be there at that time, and they said that, yes, they brought her, they went in with her. And it was kind of an odd time of the week for me to be in the office, but I was also there that day. And the three of us sat down with Barbie in the sanctuary here, and we we heard her story. And while it's not super typical for someone to just walk in off the street and request a funeral, I mean, how would anybody say anything other than yes and try to minister to this, this incredible pain and loss before us? And I'm, now I'm quoting directly from what Barbie sent in for this last part. She said, My heart stopped beating out of my chest. The whole time I couldn't take my eyes off of that cross. It was as if that cross spoke to me, she said. I heard God say, I am here for you, my child. You are in the right place. The cross, leaning, that leaning cross symbolized to me that I was falling. My heart so broken as Jesus was, leaning as he carried the cross on his back to his death. But God was with him as he was with me, and God was with me in my pain, as he was with Jesus and as he is with all of us. She writes, I want to thank Pastor Borden and Pam and Sheila and this church family who showed me so much love and compassion. Thank you, God, for the cross and for your undying love for me and for all of us. Amen. She wrote the amen, but I would have said it anyway after that. This was one powerful way that God was able to work through us as a body because every part needed to give their gift of love that helped minister to someone who had suffered this depth of loss that I can't properly imagine. And so it took all the different parts. It took leaders. It took faithful deacons who are willing to, to open our doors and see what it was that Barbie needed before opening their arms wide to her and continuing to offer her spiritual and emotional support long afterward as well. It took organizers and administrators to plan and coordinate the details, bring a funeral service together. It took ushers and parking people and sound volunteers to make that all happen. But even those who weren't present or directly involved were part of this. There was a building that Barbie was drawn to, up the hill, not down the hill. And it was there because of the vision and sacrifice and work of many people who once upon a time secured this land and got this church established and many, many people who have sustained it since then. There was the capacity to help because of the financial support and the prayers and the encouragement that many who came before us and many in this room offered. God moved through the body of Christ, His church, using the parts from the past, from the present, employing a variety of gifts and types of service to bless a hurting child of God at just the right time. And I think about that cross back there. And if I'm not mistaken, in my church history, that was handcrafted by a former member of this church, someone who went to his heavenly home before I ever came here. And he had no way of knowing that one day in the future, someone was going to look up at that cross in a moment of brokenness and sense the reassuring presence of God. But he had gifts of craftsmanship. He used them to make a mark on this church. And then God used that. And that is how it works. None of us get to truly see or fully recognize the effect of the things that we do in serving God as part of the body of Christ. We rarely know if our prayers have a real 
practical effect. We can't trace the money that goes into the offering plate to a specific thing that happens a lot of the time. We have no idea if that word of welcome meant anything to that newcomer or what, you know, the work that gets put in each week to put on coffee in the foyer does for the atmosphere of the church compared to what if it wasn't there or what that little bit of Sunday school lesson might mean years from now to a child who does not seem to be paying attention but actually is absorbing some of the most important things from what's being said and what's being communicated through the love of that teacher. We don't know how the ripples will spread. But we do know from God's Word to us that God has put the body together. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. And if we add in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. So today, as we recognize 47 years of of history behind us, I want to first say thank you to everyone who is part of this body, who takes seriously their commitment to this community, who desires to use their gifts as God has given them for the common good. It's because of that faithfulness that I get this wonderful opportunity to try to use my gifts for the kingdom full-time, and that we as a church get to play a role in the good that God has been doing and is doing and will do here. I also want to say that I hope that we will all take care to follow God's leading and make good use of all He's given us, trusting that God will take what we offer, which comes from Him in the first place, but to take what we offer and bless people now and perhaps well into the future. As one Atlantic Baptist sage put it, our future is as bright as the promises of God. And that, I think, is worth remembering in a time of instability when people fear that the future is bleak and the world is spinning out of control. But the future is not bleak because God has promised to care for us. He has given us abundant life through His Son. Our future is as bright as the promises of God. And when we use our gifts, when we choose to serve in our various ways as the body of Christ, then we will bless each other here and now. But we're also serving people who will benefit next month, next year, next decade, maybe 47 years from now, you will do things in the days to come that will bless them. And so may God give us many more years to send out ripples, whether or not we ever find out exactly how He used whatever it was we chose to give back to Him.